Hey, welcome to the Learning to Lead podcast. I'm Paul Doherty, your host, and I'm joined with the John C. Maxwell, the amazing leadership guru and someone who I've looked up to since I was very little. My dad gave me a couple of your books when I was really young, and then as I got older, uh, one of the books that was probably my favorite, I was 18, he gave me this book, Success, sure. One Day at a Time. One Day at a Time. And then he gave me another one called The Right to Lead, and it looks just like this. But I would love for you to maybe share with those who are listening, those who are watching, um, how you got into what you do, how you got into writing and, and focusing on leadership. And people know about your books, but some of them don't know your behind-the-scenes story of how you started writing some of these books. I'll be glad to. Uh, first of all, it's so good, Paul, to be with you and Ashley here and just... Uh, you know, spend time with friends. Um, Come on. I never had a desire to write a book. It's what's very interesting. I mean, when I was in high school, college, somebody said, well, you want to write a book? I said, no, I, I like to read them. But I don't have a desire to write them. So I'm about 27, and I'm sitting down with Les Parrott, one of my mentors. And uh, I asked him. He'd written five books. I said, Les, why, why do you write books? And he said something that day, it changed my life. He said, I write books to influence people that I will never personally meet. Mm. As soon as he said that, I said, then I'm going to write books. I mean, immediately I said, I want to be a writer. But I didn't want to be a writer for the reason most people want to be a writer. I wanted to be a writer because I want to influence people beyond my, uh, beyond my own personal touch. And so that was, I was 27, and by the time I was, well, well you know, a couple years later, I wrote my first book called Think on These Things, which, <laughs> which is really not a good book, but it was my first book. You know, I, the, you know, I tell people you're never good the first time, and, and I wasn't. I wasn't good the second time when I wrote a second book either or the third one. I, it took me about eight books before I think I figured out how to really write a book. But, but in fact, my first book, you'll love this. Think on, it's still in print, by the way. And, and it took me a year to write it. And it's only 100 pages, so I mean, get the picture. I mean, I, I could only do about one page every three days, you know. So I, I, I broke that down one time. It, it's, it basically averaged about a paragraph a day for a whole year. And it exhausted me, just exhausted me. And I had, in that 100 pages, I had 33 chapters. So I mean, so, so I had three-page chapters. Wow. And so some lady recently— Which is one thing I like, though, about a lot of— <laughs> Like this book, you can sure. you feel like you're accomplishing it. Sure, yeah. Well, the, so somebody, literally, Paul came up to me recently with the book. And, and she said, Would you sign the book? I said, Well, yeah. I said, Oh my gosh. I said, That's my first book I ever wrote. She said, I know it. She said, I love that book. And of course, when she said she loved that book, I took me totally, but I thought, Oh my gosh, how could anybody love this book? So I looked at her and I said, What do you mean you love it? She said, Oh, I love the book. I said, What do you, what do you love about it? She said, She said, The short chapters. She said, I love the short chapters. And then she said, How did you think about I mean, what made you think about writing short chapters? I said, lady, it was my first book. I, I ran out of gas. I mean, it, when I wrote about three pages, I didn't have anything else to say. And, and, and so, you know, it, it, was, it was hilarious to me. I didn't do the short chapters because I thought it was brilliant. I did short chapters because I was stupid. I didn't have anything else to say. And, and, and so, I, but I started. And when I wrote my first book, it was so exhausting. I thought, okay, now I'm done. And then I, I, I thought of something else. I would, thought, well, I need to share this with people. And it's, you've heard the saying that the more you know, the more you know you don't know. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was when I wrote my first leadership book, I thought I'll write one leadership book. 
And then I wrote it, but I keep growing and learning leadership. I said, well, I need to share this with them. And now I think, I don't know, 85 books later or something wow. like that. You know. What was your first uh, bestseller, New York Times bestseller? Well, my first big bestseller uh, was the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. That, that and would, that today has sold how many? Oh, my gosh. Millions of copies. It's, uh, I, I think it's sold maybe 8 million in China wow. alone. In China alone? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it, it's the best-selling leadership book ever written. And in fact, there are f- of the five top leadership books I think I've written, I think I've written four of them or something like that. So That's incredible. Yeah, but, but, but going back to my mentor and influencing people beyond my own um, personal touch, little did I realize that that's exactly what would happen. And, and so really my books and my writing now, it's kind of like the John the Baptist of everything I do. It goes before me. So no matter where I go, people say, well, I've read your books. And mm-hmm. it's, it kind of paves the way for all the things that we are trying to do to help people today. So it would, but it was a decision. Not, the other thing that was interesting, my, my mentor, uh, Les Parrott, said to me, he said, John, never write a book to, to make money. Because he said, you won't sell that many books. And so I, th- I, I thought, okay, I, I'm still just trying to influence people. That's okay, too. And I had another mentor named Elmer, Elmer Towns. And uh, Elmer had written quite a few books. And I was in his office one day. And it had all the books that he had written in a kind of in a plaque type of a deal and how many copies that they had sold. And I, so I went down, tallied it all at the bottom, and, and he had sold 100,000 copies of his books. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh. Okay, that'll be my goal. I'd like to, in my lifetime, sell 100,000 copies of, of my books. And I told him that. I said, that's my goal. And he said, well, that's a pretty big goal. I said, well, I know. I probably never get there, but that's my goal. Now, little did I know that, you know, today, I probably, in a month, probably we, I don't know, I probably, my total books would probably sell maybe 120,000 books a month. Wow. I, I do, I sell more books in a month than I thought I would ever sell in a lifetime. That's amazing. And it's, well, it's a story, it really is a story about if you really try to help people. What I want people to hear in this uh, podcast is very simple. If you really just try to help people and you uh, do your best to help them, I mean, you, you do try to serve them with excellence. Uh, honestly, um, you'll go, you'll go, you'll go beyond any f- farther than you ever gone, and you'll grow beyond anything you've ever thought you would grow, and and that's the story of my life. If I today, I would never believe that I would be where I am today, Paul. I never. So people when they talk start talking about goal setting, I, I just I I said I I couldn't do a goal setting seminar with integrity, because the things that I uh, have experienced and enjoyed, and have been able to help people with are much more beyond anything I could have ever thought, really. Mm. I mean, way way beyond. I, wow. Yeah, I'm surprised. I, every day I'm surprised. I think, oh, my gosh, I had no idea, you know. So you good. didn't see that inside yourself, even as you were no. starting to experience a little bit of success in the beginning? No, not, no, I really didn't. I, I, I um, no, I, I'll, I'll have to say that um, I just, I tried, to, it, uh, it, I, I explained it this way. I think obedience is only understood on the back end. Mm. I, I don't think obedience is understood on the front end at all. You just know you're supposed to do it. Yeah. And so you just do what you're supposed to do. And, I mean, there are a lot of biblical examples. Of, I mean, I mean, when Jesus turned the water into wine in John chapter 2, think about it. And, the, and, and Mary said to the servants, you know, you do whatever he says. Whatever he says, do you do it, which I think is the key to obedience, whatever he says to you, you just do it. 
And, and, and so they you know, filled the water pots with water. And, and, and of course, can you imagine how they felt when they were taking it down the hallway to the master who was going to taste the wine and they knew that they had put water in there? I mean, I, I, can't you, I, I can tell you, they're going to the master saying, I'm about to be fired. I mean, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is my last day at work. Because when, when he tastes this water, we're all out of here. And, and of course, then he tasted it. And, and, and the master, it said, of the household couldn't understand because usually the best wine was the earliest. And he couldn't understand it. But it said in that, it says, but the servants knew. And, and what I tell people all the time is, if you want to be the first to know, be the first to obey. That's good. And uh, so when I look at my life today, all I can say is um, that everything that I thought on the front end, God has allowed it to become so much more on the back end than I could have ever imagined. And I have really, I really have no desire to take any credit. I, I have a lot of desire to, to, to point people to the fact that if they'll obey God, he'll do things in their life that they would have never thought would be possible. Mm. And, and he has for me and he, he has for you, Paul and Ashley, and he will for others too. He just will. And so I, I tell people, you don't, you don't have to be brilliant, but you do have to be obedient. So, you know, let's, let's get off of brilliance and let's stay with obedience. So when you wrote the Maxwell Leadership Bible, which I've got one today, my dad, when he passed away, that was the first, right before he passed, he said, Paul, you can have my Bible. Whoa. Now, he thought he was going to be healed. He thought, I'll get out of the hospital, I'll live. But in 2009, he was in the hospital, and he asked me to preach my first sermon to the adult service because I had been preaching our college age sure. Tuesday night service, but he said... Paul, I want you to preach this weekend because he was out of the pulpit for eight weeks. And so I was like, are you sure you want me? You know, I'm 20, 22 years old, fresh out of college. And he said, no, I want you up there. And uh, he said, you can use my Bible. Well, it was the Maxwell Leadership Bible. So I'm, you know, I'm going through your Bible. I'm reading all your devotions and reading through all of the, you know, character highlights and just leadership lessons. Uh, but I ended up preaching a sermon called Who's Your Daddy? and used, used the Maxwell Leadership Bible, my dad gave me some notes after the service. He's like, you got to change this, you got to change sure. that. Yeah, you know, just kind of mentoring you. But this Bible has been a huge impact for pastors, Christians, you know, uh, even non-Christians love reading what, you're, what you write in this. Who inspired you to write the, the Maxwell Leadership Bible? Well, I, I was a pastor, as you know, for 25 years and loved the Bible and loved leadership. And so I did a, did a lot of leadership teaching. And after I resigned the church, and went into uh, the secular world, which was my mission field in the business world, um, I missed uh, teaching the Word because I didn't get that opportunity like I did as a pastor. And so I kind of needed my fix. And so I, I thought one day, I think I'm going to go back and, and start pulling out my messages on leadership out of the, out of the Bible and uh, talked to the publisher, which happened to be Thomas Nelson, which was big in Bibles anyway. And, and they loved the idea. And so uh, that's exactly what I did. In fact, Tim Elmore, who you know, who is yeah. on my staff, I said, Tim, help me, because he, 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 he was a, a really good Bible teacher himself. And so anyway, we did our first edition, and then a second edition, now it's in its third edition. But, the, but now, I think that said there are over 600 lessons on leadership wow. in the leadership Bible. And it's the... Of all the things I've ever accomplished, it's the uh, I think it's the most important thing I've accomplished because it's leadership that I love and it's the Bible which is uh, enduring. So uh, it's it's been a great thing. I, of course, I'm with the secular community and literally in one of our 
company conferences. This is pure secular. I have no idea, but the Leadership Bible was there. And, and it was totally a mix-up because I would never brought a Leadership Bible to a secular conference. And uh, so a guy came up to me afterwards and said, you've got a, 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 the Bible back there. I said, yeah. And he said, has your name on it? I said, yeah. I, I said, okay, yeah. And then they looked at me just sincerely as can be. He said, did you write the Bible? I <laughs> yeah. see, that's the world I live in. That's, that's the world hilarious. I live in. He said, did you write the Bible? And I, said, <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. I said, I had nothing. No, no. I said, these are just my leadership thoughts. Now, here's what's incredible. He said to me, he said, okay, he said, I said, but I, the lessons in it are out of the Bible, but I wrote those lessons. And he said, well, I love leadership. He said, I, I don't have a Bible. I've never had a Bible. He said, I've never read the Bible. But if there are leadership lessons in here, I'm going to read it. That's and awesome. when he walked away, I mentally marked him. And I just felt God speak to my heart and say to me, you're going to hear back from him someday. Go out 15 years from that time. I'm in Las Vegas speaking to 15,000 people at a huge convention. And I'm back at the table for probably three hours doing nothing but a long line, signing books, etc. A guy walks up, stands right in front of me, and he has my Maxwell Leadership Bible. And he looks at me, he said, do you remember me? And I looked at him and I said, I remember you. And I told him about the conference, you're the guy who said you didn't have a Bible, never read the Bible because there's leadership stuff in there, you're gonna read it. He said, yes, he said, oh, that's, that was me, that was me. And he said, I just want you to know, I took that home, I started reading your leadership lessons, and he said, I didn't even read the Bible, I was just reading your leadership lessons, and then I'd start, well, he said this, so I'd go over and read it, and he said, he said, within a year I became a Christian. Wow. He said, my life has totally changed, and he's just weeping, and I stood up and I gave him all this huge crowd, and I just hugged him, and, and, and I remembered the moment I, when I marked him mentally. Now, the reason I say that is because I That's think amazing. that, I think um, one of my favorite topics is the topic of unseen. Mm, mm -hmm. and, and what I think is we have no idea when we sow seed the fruit that is born. I, I, mm -hmm. you know, I think that when we go to heaven, we're going to see that fruit. I think we're going to be able to contain the knowledge and understanding of all the places where what we did in a positive way for the sake of Christ, where we were salt and light and you know, gave a cup of water, whatever. I think we're going to see those results. And and so when we tell yeah, and this leadership Bible, it's it uh, it's 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 uh, it's sold well, over well over a million copies. It's everywhere, and uh, and and I, it's just one of my favorite things because it's leadership, and of course it's the Word of God. So it's yeah. incredible. You know, I was sharing with you over lunch that uh, one of the books that you wrote that changed my life was 25 Ways to Win with People. Yeah. So I started reading that right when I became a pastor. Right when you know uh, I stepped into the role of leading our church, Ashley's the one who bought it for me, my wife. And well, she knew you desperately needed. <laughs> she was like, "He's losing with oh people." Oh my gosh! I got what can I? In fact, she she called me on phone. Yeah. And said, "Oh, child, we have to help him. Help we him. Help him win. What are we gonna do?" What are, oh, I said, "I'll send you a book." Friends. You know, she and she said, "Overnight it, overnight it. Don't don't let it come through the regular oh. mail. We we got to get it to him as quick as we can." So when I read it, though, I started practicing those 25 ways, and it, it was awesome how it started working with our staff, started working, and I really did need to build, build our culture, build credibility sure. with relationships, and re rebuild our church. We'd walk through the passing of my father and, and decline and so much stuff that we just needed to 
shift it. That book helped me a ton and helped our staff. So I started teaching it in the Bible college. Talk a little bit about, you know, just the idea of leading with relationships and winning with people, why you wrote that book, and maybe even, you know, in your own life, how you use that pastoring or, or leading now, sure. you know, the organizations you lead. Well, you, you know, Paul, as well as I do, that uh, relationships is the foundation of leadership. Um, people won't go along with you if they can't get along with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I mean, this, this is very simple. If you want to influence people, you have to be able to connect with people. And I'm big in relationships. And probably one of the reasons is my own father. My dad just passed away on 4th of July this last year. Wow. And, 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 and uh, he was 98. But my dad, um, when I was in high school, uh, uh, took me. We went to two Dale Carnegie courses, and I went through two Dale Carnegie courses with him. And when I was in the seventh grade, he put in my hands how to win friends and influence people. You know, my father paid me an allowance to read books. Wow, which was life changing in itself. Life changing. So I didn't get paid to do chores. Uh, in fact, he, his whole thing was, I don't pay you to do chores. You do that because you're part of the family. And I don't pay you to be part of the family, so you know, take out the garbage. <laughs> uh, but but he but he did but he did pass to read books. My brother and myself. I'm the th- I'm the middle child, and he, whatever he bought the book for, he would pass that much money when we read it. And and so in the seventh grade, he handed me How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I read that book every year through high school. Took two Dale Carnegie courses. And uh, very at a very young age, I understood that my ability to connect and relate to people was going to be uh, key to my success. And so I, I, uh, I, years later, I wrote a book called Winning with People. Mm-hmm. And that was my Dale Carnegie book. I, I, I said, I'm going to be another generation to make sure that those principles go on. And so I have what I call people principles in that book. In fact, what's interesting is Dale Carnegie's grandson, who I didn't know at all, from Long Island, got hold of our office when that book was out and said, I just read a book that reminds me more of my grandfather than anything I've ever read. Wow. And could I meet John Maxwell? And I lived in Atlanta at the time. He flew down to Atlanta, and we had a two-hour lunch that day, and he brought the book with him. That's amazing. And he said, would you sign this book for me? I said, sign it. He said, this is, this is, my, this is my grandfather. And then, so, and then I told him what his, the influences that he had on my life. And so Winning with People was such a successful book on relationships. I thought, I want to write a book that would help people know how to do relationships, kind of be tangible. And that's why I wrote the 20, that's when I wrote the 25 ways to win with people. And, and, and it's, it's, it's the simple things, as you know, Paul, because you use it with your staff, you used it with yourself, your dad gave it to you, you use it now teaching in college, I think. But uh, it's like, it's like uh, the, the, uh, the 25 things. Like one is uh, be the first to help. Mm-hmm. And, and basically I just tell people that when you see somebody needs, to, uh, needs help, don't, don't wait for somebody else or don't wait for a group to say, let's go. To, no, no, just go help them. And I say the first person that helps stands out uh, above all the others because, you know, wow, they came first to my first to my aid, uh, or, or share a secret with somebody, sit down with them and say, look, let me share something with you. I've, honestly, I haven't shared this with many people, but I, want, I just wanted to pass this on to you. And it makes them feel very special. And all, all these, re- remember a person's name. Yeah, 30-second rule. Now, yeah, 30-second rule. Within 30 seconds, be sure to compliment somebody. You know, on remembering, one of the Dale Carnegie courses I took was on, on remembering names. And, uh, and so I, I, when I pastored, 
Um, of course, now you have to go back to the olden days, because I, I pastored, my last pastor was in San Diego at Skyline from 81 to 95, 14 years. And uh, so in the, if you can think 92, 93, 94, four, five in those times, our, our uh, hostess people, our hosts, uh, the people that made people feel, we had maybe, I don't know, on our campus, 250 people that served as greeters, hosts, et cetera, and they all had a Polaroid camera back then. And and they were and I and I would stand up and I'd say now look I said our you know the people that are our uh, volunteer host people they have a camera and the reason they have that is, is we'd like to take your picture if it's your first time and if you'll let us take your picture um, they'll give me that picture with your name and and I'll memorize your name this week so that if you come back next week as a second week person I'll I'll be able to call you by name and every week they would give me a big key ring with uh, sometimes three key rings with anywhere from 75 to a couple hundred people that had been there. Wow. And I put it on my desk and during the week between appointments I would just take the pictures and I'd look at the picture and the name and, and I would go through it and I'd memorize their names. And and it That's was incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew about I knew about thirty eight hundred people by name. That's incredible. And 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 uh, in fact, George Barna would come down. He was in L.A. and we were in San Diego. He'd come down and study our church all the time. And he told me this many years after I left the church. He said, "John, I went down to, and I kept asking people, why is this church so vibrant? And 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 what's the kind of the key to its, you know, growth, etc." And he said, John, he said the thing I heard more than anything else. He said, it wasn't that you were a great man of God or that you were an incredible communicator. He said, when I would ask people, they'd look at me and they'd say, well, he knows my name. Wow. He knows my name. And look at this huge campus with, you know, that's before satellites. We had to have like, I don't know, five services on Sunday morning. One, I mean, it was ridiculous. And, and, but he remembers, he knows me. He, wow. he, he calls me by name. And uh, it's just powerful. And so, I mean, it wasn't that, you know, he's a brilliant leader or that he's an incredible communicator. He knows my name. Mm. And I would go around the campus calling people by name, and it was just life-changing to them. So anyway, so it's all in that book on, on yeah. you know, 25 ways to, to win with people. You know, when COVID hit in, 2000, in March of 2020, <coughs> one of the things that from your book that inspired me was – the, the personal touch, the importance yes. of a personal touch. Yeah. And I thought during a pandemic, everyone's trapped at home. Not everyone feels safe going everywhere. This was in the first couple of weeks. So I told our team pastors, I said, we've got to return to the personal one-on-one -on -one ministry to every member in our church and every attendee. So within two weeks, they called 6,000 people. Wow, I love that. Personal phone calls. Yeah. Hey, Jerry, how you doing? Hey, Pat. How's everything going? You need anything? And these members were in tears, She's writing right. me letters saying, your personal phone call yeah, from yeah. Ty Barker or yourself or yeah. AJ, it meant more to me in the pandemic than any sermon you preached. Just that phone call. Totally. And then our team, I said, follow up with, after the phone call. If they need something, mm -hmm. we're going to be faster than Amazon. Let's deliver whatever they need to the door. So we delivered toilet paper. We delivered groceries. Well, in return... Those same people were there to help us pay the bills for the church, to make sure the church continued to take care of the city. It was beautiful to so, see I love this. the relationship of pastoral yeah. church members together, meeting each other's needs. I mean, it was 
it's still to this day, I'm like, we can never forget the personal never. touch and no, connection I, with people. You know, with my staff, uh, my, my major leadership staff, every Monday morning there was just a very simple rule. When you come in on Monday morning, before you do anything else, you write five personal notes mm. to, to people in the church of something that you've interacted with them over the last week. Wow. And, and just uh, every, every, every Monday morning, just five notes and, and send it out to them. And, uh, and, and I, think that, I think that's huge because, again, in a day with emails and texting and things such as that, I still keep a, 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 a card stock of, and I still write notes. I wrote you a note for this weekend that you're coming to preach. It's a long one. <laughs> I don't know if you'll read it. <laughs> but I'm not the best like hand writer, so I was like, I'm going to take my time because I read his yeah. books and I want him to know how much it means. But it's powerful because a handwritten note goes a long way with Oh, people. of course. Of course it does. It I just, still keep cards from it, it, it's, it's Jack Welch, who was the CEO of General Electric, was a good friend of mine. And, and, and he, he called it getting out of the pile. He said, John, there's a huge people pile in life. How do you, how do you separate yourself from the people pile? Mm. And he said, you've got to do something unforgettable. And mm. I tell people all the time, if, you just, if, you, if you'll just take and write a, a couple of personal notes uh, to people, they don't get them. I, I mean, it's almost like, oh, my gosh, I got a note from them. Well, they wouldn't say that. Oh, I got an email from them. Oh, I got an email from them. I got a text. No, no. It's that. It's personal. That, yeah. Set yourself apart. You gave a quote to Ashley and I uh, when we came to your house last year, which was so powerful. Talk about unforgettable. You let us come and spend two days with you in your hometown, and I'll never forget it the rest of my life. Made a huge impact on Ashley and I, and you, and you invited about 10 other pastors and yeah, their wives. I loved it. It was so fun. You remember, you came over to my home. We had came over, together. had dinner. You yeah. did something unforgettable. You had a flamethrower at dinner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you, that guy came out with the flamethrower, and, and he blew the flame over the steak, and it was amazing. You gave yeah. us all a pair of Maui Jim glasses. Yeah. I yeah. still got my Maui Jims. Attaboy. Uh, is that what they're called, Maui? Yeah. No, I, am I, am yeah, I saying them yeah, right? You did a good job. Yeah. So um, the, you said a quote, though, the difference between forgettable and unforgettable. What was it? Something about along the lines. From well, the, it, it, the fact that it, two things, it's intentional. You can, you, if you're forgettable, you're unintentional. Mm. To be unforgettable, you have to do that on purpose. And the other thing is it's just a little bit more. That was it. It's just a little bit more. It's, it's, it's not like, oh, my gosh. You just were way over the top. No, 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 no. Just consistently go a little bit over the top because people never hardly ever see the top. They, you know, it's, it's kind of like there's a difference between excellence and, and above average excellence. So, you know, that above, that, 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 that last 2 3% is, is where you get all the return from it. It's very, very true. But you have to be intentional. You, you really do. And, uh, you know, whether it's your note that you wrote me or, or I mean, it, it, it's the intentional things that really make a difference. And so every day, every day, I uh, think of ways that I'm going to add value to people. I look for ways that I'm going to add value to people when I'm with them. And I do things that add value to people every day. And so like today when I got up, I said, okay, I'm going to be with Paul and Ashley today. Okay, let's think about what, what, can, I, what can I do for you to we'll set you apart and help me to help you and serve you. And 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 while I'm with you, I'm even still looking for ways to add value to you. And by the way, you 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 see what you look for. Mm. You don't see what is. That's why two people would be in the same place and see totally different things. Mm -hmm. 
So you see what you look for. So if I'm looking for ways to add value to you, guess what? I'll see ways. Just like if I'm not looking for a way to add value to you, I won't see any way to add value to you. Right. So, you know, so, and then you do things. You try to do things that will, you know, add value to me. To you. I mean, it's, it's the little stuff like when you brought me. Remember we had lunch a little bit ago, and, and you brought me the, you know, success book. And said, I think you said your dad gave it to you. And, yeah, no four. Mm-hmm. In fact, on June the 14th. That's right. Okay, June June fourteenth is Margaret my wedding anniversary. No way. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. wild. So we were at that, see that was in '04. We were married in '69. So that's uh, thirty-one. We were in our thirty-fifth year. Yeah, when he gave that to you. Wow. Okay. And, and 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 so, but when you showed it to me from your dad, I took it and I got a pen. I asked you for a pen. I to Paul and I signed it for you. I mean, okay, it's not a big deal, but it's a big deal. It is. It's a big deal. It was a big deal to me. But, that you but signed I'm looking it. for ways. Just okay. What, well, what do I do to? Just add value to you a little bit more. Well, just you being here is adding value to Ashley and I. Just you coming and spending time, and it means a ton. I know you don't travel all the time, and so for you to come and spend time with us and come to Victory in Tulsa is huge. Any last thing you want to say to the podcast people out there? Well, I just want to say that um, the reason I'm here is is intentional. I'm, I'm not here by accident. I didn't just wake up this morning in Tulsa and say, well, I wonder who I could see today and I wonder what we could do. And wow, no, no, it was very intentional. But there's a reason for that. I only have so much time. I'm 73. And so I've got to make every day count. Um, And to make every day count, the best way to maximize it is to spend time with people that uh, not only that you love, but people that you feel have the same passion and vision and desire to add value to people. And the reason I'm here with you and Ashley today, Paul, is very simple. It's very simple. Uh, you're part of my vision. You're part of my dream. In fact, I want to thank you again, as I will all day today, and your people for helping us financially in our nonprofit organization, training leaders around the world in transformation. I mean, so that you, you've invested in us, which is huge. But, but what I've discovered was this. You really never know if a person is committed until they make a financial investment. I, I don't mean that wrong. It's easy for me to say I'm behind you and yeah, this is good. But there's another thing for me to give either my time or my finances to you. Because mm-hmm. now, you know, what, what do you do with your checkbook? What do you do with your calendar? And, and that's, I think that's where the commitment is really understood and realized. And uh, so I made, a, I made a determination that I would Take people like you too that uh, love what I love and do what I do and, and mentor you and pour into you and leave my legacy with you. So whether you like it or not, you got me. So, <laughs> Come you know, on. Hey, you like hey, it. you're stuck. Yeah. You're, oh, my God. Here comes the old guy again. Well, let's give him a, let's give him a day or two. But, you know, here we go. <laughs> well, hey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And yeah. thank you all for listening out there. Stay tuned for more episodes coming up. And I think we're going to upload his message from this weekend at the church on the podcast. So stay tuned for that. Much love. God bless you.